Scripture itself, where we find the whole counsel of God revealed to us. This morning begins a uh, new preaching series, new time in church life, and as we consider the role of preaching and the function it will play in this new preaching series, we go back to the whole counsel of God, the Word of God, and read about that as it is spoken to us in God's Word. Second Timothy chapter 3, we'll read verses 10 through 17. Hear now the reading of God's Word. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Take just one more moment for prayer. Father in heaven, We rejoice to consider your word inspired by God, breathed out by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We pray for that same Holy Spirit to be in us, not inspiring a word from God as that has already happened, but instead illuminating the same word of God in our hearts and minds and transforming us as we consider it during this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Fascinating when a foreign word makes it into the English language. It happens all the time. You can think of a word like resume. It's fascinating in that it, the word is so good in another language, your language is like, we need that. Don't change it. We need that word in our language. Who cares if it's French? We want it in our own language. Words like karaoke. From Japan. Evidently such a great word that we need it in English. Or if you refer to your coat as a parka, you're using a Russian word. Apparently a word just so terrific that even though it's from Russia, even though it's actually Russian, we need it in English. Well, here's a word that's from another language that we have in English And it's a great one to consider. Gestalt. 
Gestalt. You might realize and guess that's from Germany before you realize or guess what it means. Gestalt. Gestalt is a word from the German language that we use in English because it's so hard to put into just one word. Gestalt means something that is made up of many parts and yet is somehow more than the sum of its parts. Something made up of many parts, but in its wholeness it is certainly more than the sum of its parts. And this is true if you consider a great painting. You know, if you have a puzzle of a great painting... And you say, I'm going to really appreciate this great painting one puzzle piece at a time. You're never going to get quite there one puzzle piece at a time. You have to look at the great painting to walk away with a real appreciation of it. If you take a great piece of music and you say, I'm going to know everything there is about this great piece of music. So all day long, I'm going to listen to the first 10 seconds of it. And then you do that day after day after day until you get to the end of the piece of music. You will not have the experience of listening to that whole piece of music and all that it is designed to do in its wholeness. Interestingly enough, if you take a great work of literature and you say, this is such a great work of literature, I want to know every single word in it. So I'm going to copy every single word and next to it put a very long definition so I understand every word. What you will have at that point isn't even a great work of literature. Instead, it's a dictionary to get the gestalt of a great painting, a great piece of music, a great work of literature. You need it in its wholeness. You need to approach it in such a way that that greatness, that glory that is bigger than the sum of its parts comes through. And even greater than the greatest piece of music, even greater than the greatest painting, and even greater than the greatest literature is our Christian faith. And yet this idea, this gestalt, where the sum is greater than the parts, is applicable, is appropriate when it comes to Scripture and our Christian faith. Now, if you've been worshiping with us over the weeks and years or tuning in to how things occur in this church and in other Reformed Protestant churches, Presbyterian churches, you're familiar with preaching through books of the Bible, verses at a time, phrases at a time, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, phrase by phrase, and that's because there's a gestalt in the books of the Bible. Books of the Bible are meant to be preached through. They were composed as uh, whole books and given to us. And we are concerned to see the harmony within them, the glory within them, the gestalt of them. And therefore, we preach through books of the Bible. But there are also topics in the Bible. And you know this. Topics like baptism, the Lord's Supper, conversion, God, the Sabbath day. These are all topics within the Bible that the Bible itself commends us 
to study in light of everything the Bible has to say about those topics. We've already confessed that as our confession of faith, that the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or can be derived from Scripture. And that's an important thought. We have the whole counsel of God speaking to all of the topics that we come across in faith and life. And as we confess our faith, we're actually doing just that. We're summarizing what the Word of God says about a certain topic of our faith. So every Lord's Day, because we have a confession of faith every Lord's Day, includes this topical analysis of the counsel of God on whatever topic it is that we happen to be confessing on any given Lord's Day. As Pastor John Shaw and Pastor James Stafford and I begin laboring together as pastors and preachers of the Word, we, along with the session, thought it would be appropriate to spend time considering various topics, looking for the gestalt in various topics, the harmony, the glory, the connections, the full picture, the full counsel of God as it comes to various topics that we come across in our Christian life. And so this is the beginning and an introduction to a topical series that we'll do and I'll speak more about throughout this service. But I'll do this by looking at three different headings. The first is Scripture itself, so Scripture. The second is Scope. And the third is Series, as in Sermon Series. So Scripture, Scope, and then Series. And my first desire here is to realize that Scripture commends this use of it that we are not doing something unfaithful by looking at what script, how Scripture deals with topics, uh, how God speaks to the different topics we come across in our life and faith. And we have already seen that by what we read in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. Very interestingly, if you look in verses 15 and 16, there are words at the beginning of those verses that refer to Scripture. Verse 15, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Paul is writing here to Timothy and saying, you were raised with the Old Testament. You were raised in a covenant home. You were raised with the sacred writings. And what I want you to appreciate is that that's that's a unit. He doesn't say you were raised with Habakkuk or you were raised with the book of Proverbs, but the sacred writings, all of them as a unit. Then he goes on in verse 16 to declare something about all Scripture, that all Scripture is inspired by God. And that too is so important. It's all of Scripture that is inspired, breathed out by God. And again, it's appropriate to think of it as a unit consisting of Old and New Testament, but in various ways speaking to various topics throughout each of its different books, coming to the full counsel of God. 
I want to look just at uh, a few other ways in which we read about that in the New Testament. You remember that Jesus Christ, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, rises again from the dead, and there's this awesome account of these disciples on the road to Emmaus, where the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ accompanies them and preaches. (laughs) Jesus Christ is their personal preacher on the way to Emmaus. What a glorious Resurrection Sunday, that was for them. But Jesus says this, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And later on in that same chapter, when he's working with uh, more of his disciples, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, it's looking at the scriptures as a unit. At that point, it would have been the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. But Jesus understood that throughout the Old Testament and all of the various topics presented In the Old Testament, the Lord had revealed so much and that all of that was to bear on who he was, who he is as Jesus, Lord, Savior, Messiah. In Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 13, we read these words that Paul and Silas were sent away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And we read, These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's a Reformed church there in Berea. They hear the preacher in the synagogue, and they say, that's not enough in itself. Chapter and verse, please. I want to see this for myself in God's Word. And that's fascinating because Scripture, again, at that point was the Old Testament. But Paul and Silas were preaching the Scriptures, preaching the Old Testament as it comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ so that the Bereans were able to find those chapters and verses on the different topics that Paul and Silas were speaking about, so that they could see through the verses, the full counsel of God, the gestalt, the glory, the harmony of the various topics covered. Again, in Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and then 27, we see something of where our earlier confession of faith came from, Acts chapter 20, verse 20, Paul says this, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Keep that in mind. There he says, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Verse 27 
of Acts 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Do you want to include everything that's profitable? Stick with the whole counsel of God. The scripture, the sacred writings. At this point, not just the Old Testament, but the Old and New Testament. The sacred writings of the Old Testament, the holy scriptures of the New Testament, that which is inspired by God that we have in 66 different books, Old and New Testament in the Bible. Scripture. And I want to go one step further just to sort of demonstrate to you this gestalt that I keep talking about, this glory of how the scripture approaches different topics, like how exciting and fun and engaging it really is and can be. I want to read to you uh, two, two verses from the very beginning of the Bible. And so two verses from the very beginning of the Old Testament. And then two verses from the very beginning of the New Testament. First, I'm sorry, two verses from the beginning of the Old Testament and then three verses from the beginning of the New Testament. And you think about this like a topic. We'll just start with the most straightforward, simple one, that glorious one-syllable word, God. Maybe that's a good place to start if we're going to look at the topic and what the full counsel of God has to say about that one topic. We'll start with God. We read these verses as we begin the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now let me read three verses. from the Gospel of John at the beginning of the New Testament. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, the temptation here is to spend the rest of the sermon on this one glorious topic of God. But just look at what we just did. Two books, two different human authors, written centuries and centuries apart from one another, both beginning with, in the beginning, both focusing on God, and just in those five verses, you ought to be grappling with the Trinity. Because it's God who is in the beginning, and it's His Spirit who is hovering over the face of the deep, but the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing came into being that didn't come into being apart from the Word who we come to understand as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Five verses. That's only five verses of what the Bible has to say about God. Think 
about what the full counsel of God has to say about God. When there are 66 books in the Bible that all in their own ways speak about God. Even the book of Esther, which doesn't mention God, teaches us about God. Just from those verses, we've looked topically at what the full counsel of God has to say, or at least five verses of it. And immediately we could bring that to a whole other dimension by saying this. Not only is God infinite, eternal, unchangeable, the one who brought creation out of nothing, not only is he unlike us because he's triune, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who are all there in the beginning with God, and we're God, but God is love. It says so twice in 1 John 4. And we could spend a whole series looking at the topic of love according to Scripture, and that would only get us one step closer to understanding the infinite, eternal, triune, all-creating God who preserves all things by his own power, who is love. Hopefully that communicates just something of of the harmony that we see in Scripture. And this is really such a glory of what we practice as Presbyterians and as Reformed and as Protestants, saying the Scriptures alone is sufficient. We have everything that's necessary for life and salvation. We are able to assess the different topics that come our way in life, and we are able to formulate things systematically. We're able to summarize the full counsel of God. We're able to take Scripture and distill what it says into various topics and summaries of those topics. That's what a creed is. That's what a confession is. That's what a catechism is. That's what a systematic theology is. That's what dogmatics is. The whole word of God and what it has to say on this particular topic or another. Let's move from Scripture to scope, which I find a very helpful word in considering the Scripture and marshalling the full counsel of God to speak into various topics. As soon as I say scope, you might think of what goes on top of a gun, and it's appropriately named because scope literally means target. So the apparatus on the top of a gun that enables you to hit a target is called a scope, and we're also familiar with telescopes and microscopes that enable us to, in the case of a telescope, take a target far, far away and examine that target, or a microscope would take a target very near to us and see it much bigger and zoom in on it and study it. I think that's so helpful when we come to consider the Word of God. That's what it is. John Calvin referred to it over and over as a lens that we see through. What is a telescope or a microscope except for sets of lenses that enable you to study through them? Think about how the Bible talks about God again, this reality that because me and you are not triune and me and you are not infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and me and you are not creators who create out of nothing, how handicapped we would be to talk about God at all if we didn't have the telescope of God's word saying this God who is in so many ways infinitely Far from you, transcend them. Through God's word, 
even as we did with two uh, verses of Genesis and three verses of John. Through a telescope, he draws near to you. He opens up the view, the window. He enables you to see through the lens of a telescope so that you can study who he is, that you can know these things about him. You don't have to conjecture and make up some other man-made religion, but instead, he reveals who he is to you through Scripture. And the microscope. You yourself. You're able to look into your own soul. Look into your own heart. Able to read about sin and righteousness. It enables you to magnify these aspects of you and see yourself through a lens in which you can study yourself and realize, yes, yes, I am broken. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what's going on in that great verse? The microscope and the telescope. When I look at myself, I'm a sinner. And when I compare myself to the great transcendent God, I know I fall short of his glory. The counsel of God coming to bear in opening up to you through its lens. A study of who God is. A study of who you are as one made in his image. And yet, a sinner in need of that God's grace. And as we consider the scope, not just the telescope and the microscope idea, consider the scope in the sense that we often use that word when it comes to a study, uh, a, a limitation of sorts. And this is so, so important for all of us. And I have to admit, I just love the, these two words that I lifted from Second Timothy 3.17 for the title of the sermon. Adequate and equipped. Aren't those great words because they're modest, you see. It's not, you know, I have God's word, so I'm Superman, and I can do anything and heal any disease and cast out any demon and no longer have any struggles whatsoever and have every answer to every question I've ever thought of. It's not that. It's Paul saying, you're adequate. (laughs) You're equipped. You know, when it comes to good works, which is what you were saved for, right? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. You are the work of God, his workmanship, his poems designed for good works. Well, here he says, when it comes to those good works, through God's word, you're adequate and equipped. No need to get a big head about things, to be an arrogant theologian trouncing down everybody else or a hateful Bible-thumping sort of person. You're adequate. You're equipped. You have what you need. That was in our confession of faith, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary. We have what is necessary for life and salvation. We are adequate. We are equipped. We have what is sufficient. It is not the answer to every last question you could ever think of. That's critical. The Bible is a story about how sinners are saved by the Savior. You're one of the sinners. 
Jesus is the Savior. Keep that in mind. Because you see, if it's sufficient, if it's all that is necessary, then it's relevant. God knows everything, right? Here's an interesting thing I've never heard. I just wish the Bible was longer. I just wish every book of the Bible was as long as Jeremiah. I wish the book of Revelation was 122 chapters instead of 22. No. I mean, if God was to reveal everything, we actually know from Scripture what that looks like. It's the way the Gospel of John closes. Now, there are also... Many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John 21, 25. God would be yet one more source of drowning us in information. He hasn't done that. He says, here, study these books. You have the full counsel of God for life and salvation. Everything that's necessary. It's sufficient. It's adequate to the task at hand. It's relevant. Spend your time studying this because it's profitable, relevant, sufficient. It's all you need. And thank God that he's given us all we need. What kind of a doctor would a doctor be? If you went to him with a certain ailment and he said, I know exactly what it is and I have a library of medical journals that I want you to read. After you're done, we'll talk about the diagnosis. We have sin in common. Original sin and every sin since. Jesus Christ is the remedy the full counsel of God, the scripture, the sacred writings of the Old and New Testament, come to meet that need, making us adequate, making us equipped for every good work. And the scripture does that by dealing with topic after topic after topic, even as it occurs in book after book after book. So that brings us to the third point, the sermon series that we're beginning. What does the full counsel of God have to say about the people of God? Look around. What does God's word have to say about this? What does it mean to have family, immediate family, but also the family and household of God? Why do we call each other brother and sister in the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to have Jesus Christ as an elder brother? Why do we even use that term? And then, out of respect for Jesus Christ, who is our elder brother, we learn from him to call on God, Father. So you see something very simple, community, people, everybody that's sitting around you here at worship, is something that needs to be informed by the full counsel of God because it brings you to say, these are my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And Jesus wasn't ashamed to call me a brother, so he's my elder brother. And he told me to begin praying by saying, our father. Family, community, citizenship. What is it to have citizenship in heaven? 
when you might also have citizenship here in the United States? What is it to be a household of God? What does it look like to facilitate that community, to be hospitable? What does it look like to reach out and invite the stranger in, as we're commanded to do? What does leadership look like? What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, that he's the vine and we're the branches, that he's the chief cornerstone and we're spiritual stones built on top of the foundation of the apostles and prophets? Community, leadership, Jesus Christ as the head of the church, the head leader, but also church government, offices in the church, pastors, elders, deacons. What about discipleship? Go and make disciples of all nations, says Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nation. nations, says Jesus. And here we are, those of a foreign nation from that perspective, since he said that, in the area of Israel. What does discipleship look like? What about the sacraments? What does baptism have to do with circumcision in the Old Testament? What does the Lord's Supper have to do with the Passover? There isn't a book of the Bible that you could turn to to answer those questions. There's the Scripture, the full counsel of God, the 66 books, the two different covenants, everything given to us that is necessary to make us equipped and adequate for every good work. So as you may have gathered, sermon series, sermons that are coming up will deal with community and hospitality and leadership and discipleship. But the one we're beginning with, Lord willing, the one we will hear a sermon on a week from now, next Sunday morning, where this coming, next Sunday morning, is more than gestalt. I think gestalt's a great word, and I I hope that through these uh, topical sermons that we bring to you, we're able to show that, that you're able to see it, you know, scripture from all these different points of view, or topics from all these different points of views, topics that are informed thoroughly by Uh, the Word of God, the counsel of God. You see the harmony, the glory, the interconnectedness, the weight of it. But we're called to more than gestalt, aren't we? We see God's Word and how it informs the different topics. And we consider what it is to have revelation, mysteries revealed, about God. Mysteries revealed about us. We learn what it is to be within this history. That it's not just people saved in the Old Testament and people saved in the New Testament. But sinners like me and you today, saved by grace through Jesus for good works, And we come into his presence with thanksgiving and joy and gladness, shouting even joyfully in the Lord. Certainly recognizing the glory of all these truths, but going one step further, 
Going beyond gestalt. Ascribing worth to God for how wonderful he is. For how glorious it is that we are the sheep of his pasture. That he has made us and not we ourselves. That we are saved by grace through faith. We ascribe him worth. We adore him. We look through the telescope and the microscope of God's word and it brings us to worship. And we have that privilege as the household and body, the community of Jesus Christ. So we'll begin some topical sermons, beginning with worship, then in a few weeks' time, moving on to hospitality and the community of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would guide us. We're so thankful for your word. You haven't left us to our own imagination. The topics that we come across in life, the things we apply our minds to consider, are ones that you have spoken to in scripture. You have equipped us. You've given us everything necessary. We are adequate. We thank you for your word, which is always relevant to even every moment of our lives. We thank you for speaking to us and bringing that word to bear upon us through your Holy Spirit, in whom we pray. Amen.